you know, infrared systems. But what are you hunting for? Humans? No, you don't hunt for humans. Not Simone, we don't talk about that. You're, this is recording now. You can't talk about that. It's a secret thing for our friends. <laughs> this is a joke. Obviously, we don't hunt humans recreationally at night. We don't engage in the ultimate sport. That's Simone, true. you don't call it the ultimate sport. It is a sport. I'd hardly <laughs> say it's the best sport. It's, if anything, mediocre because we don't like it. Isn't the ultimate sport winning hearts? Right. Yes, that's the <laughs> ultimate sport. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the ultimate sport. I I really admire you. Okay, so this episode is a good one. I I, I hope I hope what we're going to talk about is slut shaming. We're going to talk about why um, people may slut shame, like why historically this trend came about. Because like people don't just hurt other people for no reason, right? Like. If they're I mean, shaming you, if they're doing something, there's a reason for that. Either it's an immediate self-interested reason, or it's because cultural groups that engaged in this practice outcompeted cultural groups that didn't engage in this practice. Hmm, hmm. In the case of slut shaming, it's a bit of both. And then we're going to evaluate <clears throat> in a modern context. Does slut shaming still make sense? With this question being asked in two categories. Does slut shaming make sense if you slut shame people of other cultural groups? Like, mm. does that have utility? Mm -hmm. And does slut shaming make sense within a cultural group? Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to to slut shame members of your own cultural group? So first, Simone, do you want to go over what slut shaming is for people who may not know? Ah, yes. Slut shaming involves both male and female public criticism, often to other people, though often to the subject themselves, of someone's sexual promiscuity. So I think a lot of people define a slut as someone who actually like sleeps around a lot, mm -hmm. but slut shaming in its traditional context could involve li literally just shaming a young woman for losing her virginity early and just then call her a slut because she yeah. like literally had sex with her boyfriend at age 16 or something. And it is, it is an interesting innovation. It's been around for a long time. Well, hold on. I'd, I'd expand it further there. Another area where I often see slut shaming, and I think this is, you know, when I, I remember in high school. Oh, just um, for dress, right? Just looking sexually provocative? Just dress or action. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I didn't like a woman, you I would remember call her friend groups, they call them the sluts. Uh, you know, and I think even just generally, like not necessarily they had done something that showed improprietary, impropriety. Improper. It it was improper, yeah. It was just seen as a, a negative general thing to say about somebody. And so it was frequently used to describe a people who you didn't like. But of Isn't course- Isn't that interesting that, that, so like people would often refer to guys that they were making fun of as gay mm -hmm. or some variation of that. And then they would for, refer to women that they didn't approve of as sluts, regardless of any sexual signaling whatsoever. This is our is generation, by the way. We're not yeah. talking, I don't think this is true as much anymore, especially- Yeah, but it is, it is interesting to I just like imagine. use it as an approximation. I, I guess it's kind of like calling someone mentally disabled in some way, like choose whatever word of the time. Well, I think because they were trying to elevate the the worst things that they could think of each gender succumbing to from mm. the, the the cultural perspective of the time. Of normative behavior. With women, yeah. it was sexual impropriety. It was men. And it's, it was it's very interesting. Deviance. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't even say sexual deviance. 
when people in my generation, so I grew up in, in Texas, you know, and a, a long time ago, I'm 36 now. <laughs> You're very old. I'm very old. Prodigiously um, ancient. So, yeah. So when they would use the word gay derogatorily of other young men or, or things, they'd be like, oh, that's so gay. They didn't mean, even at the time I thought it was off. Like I didn't really do it myself, which, you know, thank God there's no hidden recording of me ever <laughs> being there. No, because I, I, I was really involved with the gay community even like like early on. But anyway, so they didn't mean it in a way where they were saying that these individuals were interested in same-sex relationships. Hmm. That would not be seen as like the highest negative to being this derogatory gay. It was meant to mean that men were not living up to masculine ideals. It, it, that's funny because i feel like honestly the most masculine high testosterone subgroup of men is gay men well yeah and that's what i mean and i think that that's why there was this uh disconnect for a long time where where a lot of people when they would use this word in a derogatory context they didn't think of themselves as hurting the gay community hmm. because they did not mean it of the vast majority of the gay community right they weren't actually referring to I guess if anything, it's a derogatory word just because it refers to well, in their deviation mind, from I mean, condoned the, societal norms per their perception. Yeah, yeah. The negative effects it had were there all the same, you know. Uh -huh. But I'm just pointing out that this is this is what was meant. So that's mm -hmm. really interesting there. And mm -hmm. I and I I wonder if we lost a way. Sorry, just just a total tangent from the slut shaming thing. Did we lose a way to insult men for not being masculine? Because we tied the core way that we would do that insult to the term a gay, masculine had a, a, a separate meaning. meaning well, I think now that's why relationships. Well, we, we've discovered, I think we've realized that subtly, subconsciously as a population. And that's why we use the word cuck more recently. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah, we use pussy for a bit, which didn't mm -hmm. really catch on as much. And then cuck, mm -hmm. that is so perfect. And it's also a perfect thing. When mm -hmm. people of my generation said something was gay or they said somebody was gay, mm -hmm. that was much closer to them in today's language, calling, calling that thing cucked yeah. or calling that individual a cuck mm -hmm. than it was in today's generation, like, like actually being derogatory towards someone for having a same sex relationship. Yeah. And I feel like even now cuck is kind of out and we're into more cringe and cope. Mm -hmm. Um, which maybe is even more a reflection of like obsession, contemporary obsession with mental health. I don't know. Oh, or like, Oh, yeah. by the way, an interesting thing about cucks is that conservative <laughs> men in our data and in other studies that have shown are actually more likely to be turned on by cuckoldry than progressive men. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not a big effect. It's like a 10% difference, but it's, it's, it's weird. That's still meaningful. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun if you're writing an article or something. <laughs> anyway. So, Slut shaming. So why did slut shaming first evolve, right? Mm -hmm. And where do you see slut shaming the most? So historically, if a woman accidentally got pregnant before marriage, that was really bad for a culture. It, it, mm. And not just a culture, but a town, a village, because the kids that these women had, you didn't have a state welfare systems, right? Like this money was not as widely distributed. That individual mm -hmm. became a ward of the state. And, and even then, you know, they were much more likely to end up going down criminal life paths, or if they didn't, they'd end up going down a criminal life path. And... <coughs> Today, 
You know, it takes a long time for a kid you don't care about to become a criminal in a daily past, right? Like that individual typically has to become like 21 or something before they're really a danger to other people often. Hmm. This is not true if you go even back to Victorian England. You know, if you look at Oliver Twist, right? Like a huge subplot of that was the orphan pickpockets, right? Like, but, but you know, and that they're not shanking people a lot and stuff like that, but that was things <laughs> they did in real life. So it still you know, sucks. No one wants to have their pocket picked. A, well, I mean, a woman who who in these historical contexts who had a kid outside of wedlock, you know, you're 10 years away from a little gremlin with a knife stabbing your your spouse. You know, like mm. th there was a much shorter like timeline to like the negative effects of this. So that, that was like one core thing. They were afraid of this, right? Like that an individual would get pregnant and they wouldn't have a partner to support them. And it was while women actually worked back then. And I'm going to put up a statistic here that shows that a lot of people think that women in like you know you go to the distant past didn't really work they did they worked at about the same rate that they do today a little less than men but nothing like you know the 50s and the 60s what we actually had was women's employment was high women's employment then a dip down then a back up but even with all of that they you know it's difficult to rate the kid in a single income family and the types of women who were doing this you know if they then wanted a partner they would have to find a way to get rid of the kid which again meant orphan right mm -hmm. because life as a partnered woman was much better in most of these communities okay so that was one problem that you had so 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 that was a negative but then you have a, a secondary problem which i think is the much a bigger reason that slut shaming has been carried out more recently which is in monogamous majority countries, right? Which is, and as we point out, you never have been an all monogamous society. Wealthy men are always polygynous. Always. <laughs> the thing I always point out is, is the, the peak of Catholic culture, right? You know, today we talk about trad casts and everything like that. And people think of them as being the most monogamous culture. The peak of Catholic culture was Louis the 14th. And, and that was, a, a, you know, in, in that culture, you know, that was high French culture, right? Um, and he had many, many uh, concubines and stuff like that and many side pieces. So if you have enough wealth in a society, no matter how much it trends towards the monogamous cultural practice, you're always going to have some level. That of there was shaming. There was shaming. There was shaming, but we'll get to that. Okay, but mm. we got to talk about why shaming and blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay. okay. So why is monogamy useful for a society? Right? Monogamy is useful for a society because it lowers the number of unpaired men in a society. Mm. Great studies done on this that look at similar cultural groups, you know, economic similarities, et cetera, in parts of Africa, because that's where you often have cultural groups right next to each other. We'll have one that's monogamous and one that's polygynous. Not poly, polygynous, one man, many women. But poly basically doesn't happen naturally. It's a weird modern phenomenon that we can maybe do another video on. I think we did actually. The, the, the Are We Monogamous video is kind of on the question of poly. But anyway, okay. So, what you find is you have higher rates of terrorism, you have higher rates of stealing, you have higher rates of prostitution, you have lower trust between individuals. Basically, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. This is due to what we call in our books the free radical problem. The free radical problem is the number of men that are unpaired in a society is highly correlatory with the amount of social ills in that society. And it's because their biology sort of goes crazy. And of course, you know, it's sort of an all or nothing breeding strategy for them. And if not, then just a spite strategy. Now, what's interesting is there are some studies that counteract this. When men choose 
male dominated societies, i.e. like mining towns and stuff like that, you often don't have these same negative effects at the high levels that you would expect. But I think that might be a choice thing, you know, like these men are saving up wealth until they can leave and then go and find a, a partner. Yeah, there may be the expectation that they will eventually be able to get any woman they want. I think also there's the effect of just seeing other people have it and you not having it. I mean, we psychologically, that's a really big thing. Is, yeah. You know, we, we don't, there is no like universal basis for human dignity or comfort. There's always, it's always relative. It's, well, I need a big screen TV to have my human rights mm -hmm. met because everyone else is a big screen TV. So I think that's another big factor. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so you you get to societies that are mostly monogamous. Most of the ones that we're coming from are, are on the monogamous side of the spectrum. And there's a lot of benefits to this. You know, it, it means that when a partner matches another partner, both partners are largely pulling each other off the market. Mm -hmm. And this is a really positive effect for, for the rest of society because it means that you can theoretically get a society where like 90% of males and females are paired with each other, assuming you have similar gender ratios. Now you do run into some problems if like you are dating downwards in terms of age and you have a quickly growing population, because that means the number of men is always going to be quite uh, quite a little bit smaller than the number of women, you know, and this is the problem you see in, in some Orthodox like Jewish communities where they'll date a few years down, like five years down or something like that. And what that ends up meaning is because the population is growing so quickly, you're generally going to have like nine men for every 10 women, which means like systemically women, even women who follow all the rules aren't finding partners. But also in these communities, it's much more likely for a man to marry outside the community than it is for a woman to marry outside the community because uh, within a lot of groups, it's believed that it's easier for a woman to fully convert than a man to fully convert with ironically Judaism being the one sort of exception here. <laughs> but I could just use it as an example. So whatever. So yeah, but okay, back, back on topic. So let's talk about the beginnings of, of, of modern slut shaming, right? This wasn't like, this is, this is post contraceptives, right? Uh, post abortion. So you're not dealing with the same risk of, of, you know, women getting pregnant and then kids becoming the ward of the state. Well, even in this scenario, you actually have really negative externalities for everyone else in a society. If one woman decides to sleep around. So, and it's not just the potentially orphaned children. Yeah. So, you know, if I have a group of, let's say, 10 men and 10 women, right? In monogamy world, these women are matching to these men, right? Like, like based on their aggregate desirability within a, a social order. Suppose that one of these women or two of these women, let's say two of these women, you know, like 20% of society, says, hey, actually, I'm going to be, I'm just going to sleep around. I don't need to marry a guy. I don't need to, to be long-term monogamous with a guy to be with a guy, right? Well, immediately, a lot of guys within this community are going to artificially value these women higher than they might otherwise value them. So mm -hmm. in a group of 10 women, right, these two women, if you want immediate access to sex, these two women will be the highest value women to pretty much any guy in that group, right? Like even if they're below average, if the other women aren't going out there and being willing to have sex, 
and and that is what a guy is interested in then these women even if they're like near the bottom two women that they have the highest value like they're sort of playing this arbitrage game mm-hmm. now of course they're degrading their long-term value by doing this and, and yeah this is a it. short-term game and that's why it's also like not so smart it's, it's a short-term game yeah but it, it it is an enormously profitable short-term game if you're talking about like social status profitability attention from men you couldn't otherwise get to pay attention to you etc like there is yeah. a lot of short-term benefits to doing this for the individual yeah well and also if you live in a society where having a kid with one of these people like without their consent locks them down it is a way for a very low value woman to ultimately end up with a higher value man than she could have gotten had she chosen a monogamous strategy or high value child support exactly yeah so this when when one of these women starts doing this it's bad for all of the women who are playing the game faithfully mm-hmm. right like they have lost a huge chunk of their value right the guys who previously they would have wanted these top tier guys well they're now sleeping with these other women and they're not going to pay attention to these women until later until they're ready to settle down or whatever and even then these women are offering these men something that's sort of like paywalled um that that now these guys can get for free maybe at lower quality but they can still get it for free uh if i was to word it differently you know how much is a paywalled porn company going to make even if it's slightly higher quality porn if there's free porn online exactly that offering is no longer that high and the men who are sleeping with these girls let's be clear these are the top two most attractive men of this group right if 20 percent of the women are sleeping around they're going to be sleeping with the top two men because they are the highest value of the women who are sleeping around Okay, so there's you can think of them almost like union scabs. They sort of <laughs> break the value proposition that the other women are, are offering. Well, then after a bit, you you begin to get a situation in which all of the other women are benefiting from putting an exogenous negative modifier to these women who show this level of sexual improprieties market value right? Social value, et cetera. So mm-hmm. they will tease, they will attack these women in an attempt to lower their social value. So through applying this exogenous motivation, there is a cost to doing it for these women, right? An immediate cost, not a long-term cost, but an immediate cost because this immediate cost then makes it less like beneficial to do this. Like if we're just speaking about like in the moment beneficiality, well then they'd think, oh, well I get called a slut, I get shamed, I get disinvited to parties, everything like that. (coughs) You know, that is a reason to not go out and sleep around within these communities. Now, to Simone's comment here, which we also need to talk about, you know, when this was starting, there was also a huge negative long-term effect for the women who were doing this. Right. Like if you went out and did this, it was like getting a face tattoo. Right. Like you had dramatically lowered both your social standing within society and your ability to lock down a long term partner. It was not really worth it, except for women in generally pretty hard up situations, either hard up economic situations or hard up mental situations. It was just not something that your general, like upstanding, mentally healthy woman was going to do in this historical context. But time goes on, okay? Now you've got a group of women in our society who are these women who engage in sexual impropriety have, and have gotten older, right? And they are basically a, an underclass within society that has a motivation to lower the stigma against women like them. 
in addition to that, men, and and I know, you know, because I'm old, uh, I remember, like, I wanted to promote women being slutty because I could sleep with those women, right? Like, I was one of the guys arguing, oh, yeah, you should totally sleep around. Like, that's what I was saying in high school because I wanted to sleep with them, fucking obviously, right? So there's there's two groups that that is promoting this. It's the women who have now entered this sort of new weird underclass, and then the men who want to sleep with these women, right? And here we mentioned this in the in the video of how much does sleeping around actually matter. But just for women who are like broadly unaware of this, because I think our society kind of hides this, and it's something that I don't think it's easy to intuit as a woman. Biologically, men, a, a good portion of men, not all men, seem to have an intrinsic sort of disgust reaction and and loss of attraction to women who they know have a high body count. And I think it's just one of those arousal slash aversion things yeah. that people can't control. Like it's, you can't it's not control thing. Yeah. if you're in defeat. You can't control if you are into men versus women. And you can't control if it really turns you off that someone's had a lot of sexual partners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that that's sort of missed for people because our society kind of hides it from you. And if you don't believe me, just go around and ask a bunch of your male friends and you can just ignore them. You can be like, oh, <laughs> you've been brainwashed by society. But I'm telling you they haven't. Like it, it, I, it's, it's an intrinsic thing. So, and it's not all guys. Again, I think it's like 60, 70% of guys from what I've seen. Um, anyway, so right. back, yeah. back to the story at hand. So there was this motivation for slut shaming, but as the negative externality that people were able to apply through slut shaming lessened over time, because it did lessen over time as society normalized, you know, I'd call it serial monogamy, which was basically a form of sleeping around. Then more and more people benefited from doing it because the negative external effects were, were not there. And so you begin to move from 20% to 40%, from 40% to, you know, 60%, right? So what then happens when you have, let's say, 20% or 30% of women really not sleeping around much and, and then 60 70% sleeping around a lot, right? Or, mm -hmm. or open to sleeping around, not like just totally giving it away. Well, now you have two categories of slut, right? You have category one of slut, which is the serial monogamy slut, right? These women are still broadly monogamous, but they are moving between partners fairly quickly. And then mm -hmm. So they just have a lot of boyfriends and then maybe husbands. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And boyfriends. then you have the actual like sleeping around women who just sort of sleep with anyone. Just lots now, of hookups, yeah. To understand this system, we're first going to talk about the women who are just sort of sleeping around more broadly, right? So let's assume that they were like 70% of these. So seven out of these 10 women were in this group, right? Three of the women were still like, okay, I'm going to save myself, et cetera. But then these other women, whatever. Well, who are they going to choose to sleep with, right, of the men? They're not sleeping with the average men. They're not giving up all of what they are giving up because they are still giving stuff up to sleep with average or below average men. Hmm. They are all sleeping with the same men. And because these men are non-exclusive, right, it's easy for them to do this, to move from one to the other to the other, right? So this was a system that really not really benefited women when it was only a few women doing this, but it's a system that like benefits women a lot less the more women are participating in it. Hmm. Yeah, because then suddenly your arbitrage opportunity disappears. Yeah, yeah. It's a tragedy of the commons issue. 
now, okay, let's divide these women into two groups. Some who are still sort of doing the monogamy thing and some that are, are being just totally promiscuous, you know, very low barriers to sexual access. Well, the ones who are totally promiscuous, they're both hurting the ones who are waiting for marriage, but the one, but, but not as much because now those women are like a unique asset, if you yeah. get what I mean, right? Yeah. Like they are something that no one else can get and that makes sense for a specific class of guy that's generally not the guys who are out there sleeping around, right? The women who they actually hurt the most are the serial monogamy women, because now these women don't really have anything differential over the completely slutty women, right? Like they've also been with a number of partners, but they're not giving out sex for free. You know, they're out there basically charging for it, whether it's dates or time or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these other women are even more like analogous to just like straight up scab breakers. So even as sexual impropriety is normalized within society, there is still a strong motivation to slut shame these women right? For a big, a big portion of the population. And as we move further and further along as a society, now there's new types of slides, right? These are women who are doing OnlyFans accounts. These are women oh. who are posting stuff online, right? Yeah. Well, so not actually the, sleeping with people, just. Yeah. But these women are now actually like a lower category of slut, you could almost say, than the ones who are just sleeping around a lot, because now they're hurting those women's ability to exercise what they were previously getting from the market. Well, and, and I mean, I think arguably what's interesting about the threat posed by OnlyFans artists is that mm, arguably what women really want from men is resources, not necessarily exclusivity. Yeah. Like, if, if they had to choose, they might choose resources over ex exclusivity. And so you could argue that the OnlyFans women are more of a threat because they will command more in terms of financial resources than, you know, maybe a really cheap date. Yeah. So does slut shaming make sense in a modern context? Mm. I want to hear your intuition. Like, do you think that you personally benefit from it? No, because I don't understand when people are insulting me. So I don't know. But what I will say is I think that shame as a concept is something I'm really, really warming up to because it is a way to enforce social norms without making a law or a rule. So keep in mind one thing we haven't been discussing here is like, oh, you know, if you're found sleeping out of wedlock or you're found like, you know, sleeping around as a young woman or even dressing provocatively, like we're going to jail you. We're going to beat you. We're going to kill you. You know, it is just we're going to we're going to talk about you behind your back and in front of you and be mean, which is way nicer than being killed or jailed or tortured like physically. Although people can argue that mental rejection, social rejection is more painful than torture. So I like it because I think it allows a society to enforce important social social norms without having blanket laws. And I also like it because I think it works uniquely well in a pluralistic society. Because if, for example, like a super conservative religious person who you don't identify with calls you a slut, you're just like, I don't know, like that, you know, that holier than thou weird Catholic girl thinks I'm a slut. I don't care because I don't care about her culture. So it also yep. allows for, for cultures to enforce norms on their own people. And even when they try to enforce those norms on outsiders, they're not hurting the outsiders. Only people who care about the in-group will be subject to those rules. So to me, it seems super libertarian, super laissez-faire, 
But also, I mean, a lot of these social norms are important to the points you made about societal stability. So I think slut shaming and other forms of shame are really, really wonderful. So I might agree. I, I would say, I mean, like when I think about the culture I would raise my kids in, like, what am I telling them? Yeah. Generally, I just don't think it's worth it. When you apply to a shame negative, them. what? To shame them about anything. No, for them to shame other people. So, so I'll explain why. So if they go out there and they are broadly applying this negative externality of shut slamming to society as, as, a, as a whole, like all of the women in society who are out there doing this, well, now they're hurting those people. I mean, that's what you're doing with a negative externality. That now provides motivation for those women, the sluts, to apply negative externalities to them to prevent this kind of behavior i.e. to do things that lower their social standing. And this is what we're beginning to see around slut shaming, right? When the sluts rule the world, right? Like they've already taken over, they've already won in mainstream society. If you go out there and you try to apply negative externalities to them, those negative externalities actually reflect back onto you at a much higher level because your behavior is a non-normative behavior. That being the case, <clears throat> I don't think that there's a benefit to our kids doing it. I do think that there's a benefit to them making it known what they're looking for in a partner. And that may be a low body count. And I think loudly signaling that is a valuable thing, but signal it as I want somebody from one of, uh, you know, these deviant cultural groups, right. While affirming the cultural group for living in a lifestyle that you don't, believe it like i just don't think you're gonna be able to, to change mainstream society or mainstream action through what about within our own culture or our own family yeah no within your own culture i think it makes a lot of sense that's my whole point is one any sort of shaming for someone outside your culture is feckless and pointless mm. just makes you look bad but i think you within your culture I, I just okay, I, I think it's i think it's a really great non-coercive way in fact i think you know if anything you look kind of lame shaming people outside your culture yeah. Because they don't care and it just makes you look weird. But though it could, you know, to our other conversations about the importantness of othering yourself to kind of keep you within your culture is really important. So it could play a good but role in that. It makes more of a sense to just really aggressively only shame within your culture and make it yeah. clear what your intercultural status hierarchy is going to be based on. Yeah. And that sexual promiscuity. And I hate to say this. Do you think, I mean, is there any real negative to sexual promiscuity for men? Yes, absolutely. But it so. comes more it comes more from the risks of STDs and of potentially getting a woman pregnant very low. and potentially getting a woman accusing you of misconduct. So no, that's yeah, very hot. Yeah, so I guess very it makes sense. It's extremely risky. Uh, like, yeah, I mean it's 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 you, know, you could hurt someone's feelings. What do you yeah, you could really that? you know, if you if you aren't very socially savvy and you aren't very careful about the way that you engage with people, you could hurt a lot of people. We talked about right, this on like all right, Delta, you changed my mind on this one. I, I think you're right. <laughs> um nice. you have convinced me to to slut shame our sons. Oh good. Yeah. Um, a little, a little. I still think they need practice more than the girls do. Uh, but yeah, gotta I, be careful. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with what, what, what you're saying. But I, I do agree that especially for men, like IRL relationship experience is crucial because what are they doing otherwise? They're just watching porn online. And that is not a way to learn how relationships work at all That because it gives people super well, unrealistic and it expectations. Important traits like being aggressive, salesmanship. Yeah, you know. no, no, no. It's I, I agree that it's good. I don't think that young men need to necessarily go all the way to like you know piv sex but 
whatever you do well, you. yeah maybe there's other ways you could build sort of sexual trophies other than full sexual intercourse what would that look like intimacy i mean like you know hand jobs blow jobs like that's that's fine with me i mean it still runs risk of like hurting I think people's it has feelings. all of the risks that you just and accusation no, no no not not pregnancy not pregnancy that's a big one I, that to me is like the biggest risk of all, like the idea of being on the hook with child. Like, so that is, that is where I draw the line. Also, I, I feel like the risk of a woman retroactively, you know, having a lot of problems, it, a lot of women don't count hand jobs, blow jobs, et cetera, as sex. So they could still consider themselves virgins. And, you know, it's, you know, I feel like you, you cross an additional barrier when there is PIV sex involved. So, I mean, I'm still saying there's a big risk and like, but if you have to be intimate, be intimate like people have been intimate when sexual activity has been taboo for the longest time where they just like do everything but PIV sex, you know? I think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I love you, Simone. This has oh, been a, a helpful conversation for me and I hope <laughs> was enjoyable for our audience.